Hey everyone, I'm Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Today, we're going to be talking about price controls. There was an article that was released over the weekend and incited a lot of rage, a lot of feedback, and of course, why not talk about the rage, the feedback? We're going to be talking about that, and we're going to be talking about the feedback, we're going to be talking about history, we're going to be talking about signaling, we're going to be talking about the philosophy of money, everything in between. Getting right into it, I am going to be talking about prices, why they exist, what makes them exist, Dr. Weber's article. And to note, I do think Dr. Weber has a certain point, but I do want to talk about the dialogue just around her article in general. I'm going to talk about price controls, I'm going to talk about examples of price controls, and I'm going to talk about history and how we think about the economy, and I'm going to do it all with this magic wand, also known as the Apple Pencil. Getting right into it, what are prices, right? Like, what a weird question to ask, but what are prices? Prices are ultimately signals, and the price of money is interest rates. And so signaling, when you think about a supply and demand curve, when you have supply sloping upward, demand sloping downward, there's going to be an equilibrium price where supply and demand meet, where both producers and consumers consumers are happy about the situation, price and quantity are at that happy medium. So that is the equilibrium price that the market sets, and that is sort of what we rely on in a free market economy. So hey, the economy knows what's going down, the market knows what's going down, just leave it alone, it'll figure things out, prices will set themselves, like we will get this sort of stuff done. However, <laughs> inflation happens, right? And so inflation is the decline in purchasing power, prices go up, things get bad, and right now we have supply side inflation and also consumer demand driven inflation, they're buying a lot of goods right now. And then you also have the labor wage problem, which leads to more supply side pressure where people either don't want to work. And so wages have to increase in order to incite people to come work. That leads to this kind of inflationary environment. And the person that we rely on in order to manage inflation is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve will come in and they will do what they've been doing, right? So they'll taper. They will say, we'll raise interest rates one day. And that's how we deal with inflation. Milton Friedman is well known for saying that inflation everywhere and anywhere is a monetary phenomenon. Japan has been doing QE forever and it's partially because of their demographics and their production capabilities, but they have not had inflation. It wasn't until we had supply side inflation that we really had inflation. We had a global pandemic. Inflation can be a monetary phenomenon, but it also isn't a monetary phenomenon. There's also different things that they can do in order to manage inflation, such as price controls. So the Fed wouldn't do this, the government would. And this can be bad. <laughs> it can also be good, but most of the times it's not a good thing. So if you look at Argentina, if you look at Venezuela, if you look at historical United States, price controls have really never done the job that they were meant to do. There's just really a deadweight loss depending on the type of price control that's implemented. But with a price control situation, you can have two main flavors. Prices need to be set by the government. You can have a price ceiling or you can have a price floor. And so a price ceiling is going to be a maximum price. So think about rent control. Price floor is going to be a minimum price. So think of minimum wage. Price ceiling, uh, mandated lower gas prices, a rent control. What that does is it lowers prices. That leads to more demand <laughs> and that leads to less production. So less apartments, less oil, because it's not inciting, right? Like if you're like, oh, I'm only going to get this much for a barrel of oil why would I do it in the first place? If I'm only going to get this much for an apartment, why would I do it in the first place? And that leads to shortages, right? Because there's not that incentive to produce. You can actually see this in the supply and demand curve. So if you draw the supply and demand curve, so supply sloping upward, demand sloping downward, you can see that demand is much higher than the goods that are supplied. That's the shortage that's created from supply and demand not matching up. Usually that's the argument. All of this stuff is very hypothetical. Price floor is going to be a minimum price. So think of minimum wage. And if you draw that out, so you have supply sloping upward, demand sloping downward, that triangle in the middle, demand is not matching up with supply, you have a surplus. And so those are the two main types of price controls, a price ceiling or a price floor. There's either a shortage or a surplus. Hypothetically, this is all economic theory.
theory. This leads to not great situations for the producers and consumers in both situations. Just drawing that one more time, you know, price ceiling is going to be underneath the equilibrium price, price floor is going to be above the equilibrium price, and neither of them get producers or consumers to that hypothetical equilibrium where they both want to be. Quantity supplied and quantity demanded are not meeting up at that equilibrium point where we need them to meet. That leads to either consumers suffering or producers suffering, which leads to an inefficient market, as they say. Prices, like I said, they're a big signal. It's where that supply and demand intersect. It's where consumers, producers are happy. Everything's perfect, right, at that equilibrium point. But prices are also a function of the economy. <laughs> so there's four main factors of production. There's land, there's labor, there's capital, and there's entrepreneurship entrepreneurship and all of those rely on money in order to function. So money is a transactional tool. Prices are sort of the language of that transaction. And for factors of production, land is going to be rent, labor is wages, capital is interest, entrepreneurship is profit. Prices are a signal to all of those things because they all rely on money in order to facilitate everything that they do. Milton Friedman, who I used as like maybe not a good example, but here, what he said about prices is that they transmit information. They provide incentive to enterprise. They provide incentive to resource owners, distribute support to owners of resources, and they ration fixed supplies of goods to consumers. So price controls can be good, right? Like during an emergency, it's a good thing, but they can also be really, really bad because they distort those signals that people rely on them to send. So when you mess with prices, you mess with signals. And part of the argument over price controls is kind of around how money works in general and how all of that information gets distributed in the market. And I'm going to talk about what that means. Um, there was an article in The Guardian from Dr. Isabel Weber, where she laid out that part of the reason that we've had inflation and we've had inflation is because of corporate profit expansion. So margin expansion from corporations saying, oh, okay, these people, these corporations are charging so much money. They're really just getting everybody where, where it hurts. She also points out that supply chains have been an issue. Corporations have said, oh, we see these supply chains going out of whack and we're going to charge a whole lot more because we know that we can because supply chains are a mess. You see the Federal Reserve step in and say, okay, to counter that, we're going to, you know, taper faster. We're also going to potentially raise rates. This inflation is driven by supply shocks. And But Dr. Weber is saying that no, you can do price controls. She has two key points. Number one, these price controls will buy us time in order to figure out what's going on in the market. And then number two, uh, it'll mobilize public investments towards economic resilience, climate change mitigation, and carbon neutrality. And of course, the internet was like, whoa, this is crazy. There's two key responses to this idea of price controls. Number one is that, yeah, price controls can work. Like, during the pandemic, I bought four masks for my family for $50. It's April 2020. Everybody wants a mask. Nobody knows how to get one. The government kind of needs to step in during an emergency in order to mitigate prices because you will see people bid up prices. Like you're going to have producers be like, okay, I have a shortage. So many people are demanding masks. And you're going to have to pay $50 for four masks. And the reason that the government would step in is because it is an emergency. They need to step in to do certain things with prices and to make sure that things can get to where they need to be in an emergency. Price controls are applicable in certain emergency situations. The way that Dr. Weber seems to want to apply them is that price controls should be used as a broad-based tool for inflation. And we've tried this before during the Nixon era, during World War II era, Argentina and Venezuela are very good examples of price controls. When you see economic-wide price controls, a couple of different things happen. So number one, it can lead to hoarding. So if you're like, okay, everybody, bread is going to be $2, people are going to run and on sale, right? And they're going to go hoard the bread, which ends up pushing up demand, 
which ends up boosting inflation, which leads to more hoarding because it's like, who knows what'll happen next? And then more inflation. So it's kind of that feedback loop, that really disastrous feedback loop. And the other thing that it signals is that monetary policy is not doing its job, which is a really bad signal to send to everybody. The Fed is able to engage in QE. They haven't even begun their interest rate hike process yet. We will see if they actually are able to, but the Fed has QE tapering and rate hikes still on their tool list. And so price controls would kind of be like if you have a small rip in your shirt and you decide to just throw the whole shirt away versus just sewing it. It's a very, very big response. We have really run out of other options. Noah Opinion, who wrote an article, wrote that black markets would arise if we did have price controls. Essentially, it just means that the market gets pretty distorted and it's hard to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And we have examples of this from history. So in 1971, when oil prices were going absolutely wacky, Richard Nixon came out and was like, we're going to freeze on all prices and wages in the United States for 90 days. So wages could not increase, prices could not increase for 90 days. And the idea here was to prevent inflation from increasing. This led to long lines at gas stations. It did fix prices at first, like things definitely calmed down. But after the price controls were lifted, inflation came roaring back because all that demand was suppressed. And that led to shortages, right? Because there was just such a big distortion between quantity supplied and quantity demanded. And the thing is that price systems coordinate the actions of thousands of people, millions of people, millions and millions of people. When you mess with one aspect of that, that leads to a domino tipping across all of the systems. So if you mess with oil prices, that's going to mess with refineries, that's going to mess with gas stations, that's going to mess with consumers. Everything kind of pins back to ultimately we are this very big market ecosystem and one domino tipping leads to a lot of dominoes tipping. And that's sort of the issue with price controls is unless you apply them to the broad economy, which is not recommended, producers would be like, peace out, I don't want to deal with this. And that would lead to shortages unless you have rationing, right? So that's what they did in World War II, where all of these resources had to be mobilized towards the war. We are in a completely different environment where we're not mobilizing resources towards a war. We're sort of mobilizing resources towards a pandemic, but not nearly in the same capacity as World War II, obviously. Joey kind of talked about this in his piece, but the price controls in the past in the United States were done pretty haphazardly, but you had huge, huge, huge administrative power that were able to administer these price controls. So even if we were like, hey, bread has to be $2 everywhere, the governmental power might not be actually in place in order to execute that stuff. We can't even get at home testing to people. The idea that we could sort of do price controls, I don't know how how even, you know, in theory it might work, maybe, but in execution, it, it might not. And so that's the big thing is it would be a huge effort and that would be a huge cost in order to even execute upon this. So it, it, it's kind of um, a snake eating its tail in that, in that regard. So that's really the big thing thing is that it, it, price controls often result in a distortion between quantity demanded and quantity supplied and it leads to inefficient markets because everyone's like what the heck I'm not gonna deal with this right now or I do want to deal with it but nobody wants to deal with me price controls it's the exception not the rule that we haven't implemented them so they've been implemented during pretty much every other crisis in history except for this one but we still have other tools that we can use they're also kind of a last resort thing where it's like if monetary policy isn't working like yeah that's when price controls could come in but to implement them when we still have hypothetical tools on the Federal Reserve's tool belt, it might be a jump too soon. When we think about money and prices, money is a transactional tool and prices are the language that transmits the information about that tool to the world. All of this boils down into the economy existing within a society. We live within a society and so price controls are potentially an element of something that we could use, but maybe not the best possible option just based on history and just based on economic response and how supply and demand functions. And with that being said, all this stuff, there's a really good 
piece called The Great Transformation, he writes about how this commoditization of humans goes against maybe how we should think about life. And so I think that's a good piece if you're looking for a little bit more in-depth analysis around the economy being a part of society and not a driver of society. It is an interesting time and maybe they will be implemented sometime in the future, but historically they don't work. I don't think that the coronavirus pandemic and the environment that we're in right now, where we don't really need to mobilize mass resources like we did during World War Two it is the best time to implement price controls. So that's that. Happy 2022. I will be back and I hope that you enjoyed this video. If you did, go ahead and hit subscribe. No money needed. So if you want to do that, heck yeah. I will be back and I will see you soon and I hope that you had a happy new year and goodbye. <laughs>